like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk welcome to the latest edition of the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports on this episode we will talk to nfl veteran eugene monroe about his efforts to combat opioid addiction in the nfl and his passionate plea for the league to consider medicinal marijuana for use by players suffering from chronic pain. Stick around. You do not want to miss that. Also, in a related story, we will break down the new Martellus Bennett rap song and debate whether making a track with Snoop Dogg is enough to get you suspended under the NFL's current drug policies. I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. I am wearing a Nomar Garcia Para Cubs jersey from 2004. I am drinking some Evan Williams because my most hated player in the NFL just got picked up by my most hated team in the NFL. And it is a bad day. Any questions on who that would be, guys? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've not been watching the news. Joe Hayden from the Browns. As longtime listeners, longtime Sparkle Ponies know, I'm a Bengals fan. And Joe Hayden was like, even though he's he's getting he's going through the ringer of like NFL people like criticizing his play because he's a free agent and that's everyone has to have an opinion. He always played AJ Green really tough. And I'm like, oh awesome, the Browns dropped him. This is great. And then he got picked up by the fucking Steelers, and it's like Are you kidding? Anyway. You already hear the voices of our two co-hosts, so let's do some introductions. With us in Chicago, it is longtime PR rep of the sports world who is long time with the Colorado Buffaloes, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It is Adam Woolard. Adam, do you do you even do you even root for sports anymore? Are you too close to the game? Are you are you part of football now, Adam? It is harder for me to watch. I think fantasy football has allowed me to be a fan again and have a rooting interest in the game. I will say, after working for an NFL team and standing on the sidelines for seven years, it was very the transition, which was now six years ago, was very difficult to sit at your home on Sunday and watch it on TV because there's no adrenaline rush like being on the sideline. Nothing in my life has ever... Uh, equal that feeling. So I will say, yes, I am a fan now, but only because I'm in two leagues where money is. Well, Adam, we, you and I have issued many press releases for PR uh, campaigns. And I, I would, I would argue those feelings of putting that on PR newswire equaled <laughs> being on the sideline as Brett Favre throws a touchdown in the playoffs. Yeah, almost <laughs> really close. Uh, also with us in Brooklyn, our Brook, our Brooklyn, New York bureau, it is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer Gareth Hughes. Gareth, I don't have a fancy question this week. Oh, I, I just I'd like know... to. I'd like to follow up with Adam. There. Oh, please. Oh, l- l- hold on. Let me retake that. Then it is Gareth Hughes. Gareth, tell us 
you also worked for the New England Patriots. You've been part of uh, multiple Super Bowls and even one unblemished NFL regular season. Is it exciting to watch football? Yeah, I said regular season. Uh, I talked to you that night. Is it exciting? Actually, you know what? I'm going to ask that, Garrett. Tell us the story of being backstage with the Patriots when 18-0 and became 18-1. and uh, That's a good question, actually. This is... I don't know. This is an interesting story. So um, the first year I ever produced anything was 2007 for the New England Patriots. And I loved working for them. Uh, I still work with the organization, etc. And good people. They got me my start. And um, so I produced a daily web show called uh, Patriots Today all season. I know that 2017 team like the back of my hand. Um, I did a show every day for 20 minutes, a 20 minute show every day of that season on them. So we're at the Super Bowl and they gave everyone tickets, but I had to leave at the beginning of the fourth quarter because we were doing a live broadcast from the post party. It's called Party with the Patriots. (laughs) Yeah, it was for the web. It was going to be a, it was going to be a web broadcast from inside uh, there were going to be interviews with players, the owners, famous people, like the various bands that played and things like that. So I was going to be, once the party started, I was going to be producing one of the talent uh, on one of the sets, like grabbing the musicians or something like that. But in the fourth quarter, I had to sit in a broadcast truck and cut highlights so that we would roll that in. And so you would cut like 20, 30 second highlight packages. So I'm standing in there. We cut the Tyree catch. We're kind of all thinking like, oh, shit, what's going to happen here? Um, the, the, Randy Moss, the Randy Moss bomb falls short. It was a six camera setup in the ballroom there. And the game ends and they lose. I... I I just remember seeing there stunned, like, what, what now? Like, we worked all year for this, and it just, it was so strange. It just, like, I mean, look, uh, I'm, yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine what the players were feeling in that moment, or the coaching staff, or the ownership. So don't try to read anything into that. But it was just a bizarre, bizarre feeling. And we're standing there, and I'm calling. My boss is at the stadium, and I was like, uh, so what are we doing? And the first answer was, because like, they were still there. They were going to do the locker room and then take the team bus back. And they were like, 10 minutes. Give us 10 minutes. And they huddled, and then eventually my phone rang. It was my boss. I picked it up. And I was just like, what's the verdict? And he said, get it out of there. Get every camera out of there. Go. <laughs> and so... I just, I relayed this to the crew we had there and like five or six of us just like sprinted, you know, like whenever you're at a stadium, if you want to find the broadcast truck, just follow the cable run. Cables always lead back to the truck. So there's like 50 feet from the truck to these ballrooms and we just ran into the hotel and tore out those cameras. I mean, they're big, heavy, wired cameras. We tore the cameras out as quickly as we could. And that was that. Then they had the party as normal. I mean, that came out a few years later, the second time they lost to the Giants. Like, everyone got bent out of shape because Gronk was partying. 
Um, but man, they earn those parties. That's a long year. You get to get drunk once. Just, just enjoy it. Let them, let them live. So, but yeah, that was my story of 2007 post Super Bowl. You told me that night you were like, I was like, hey, how did it go after the game? That's crazy. First of all, Garrett texted me because I was at that Super Bowl working. I'd never been to one before. Neither did I. I should have been at that one. I should have been at that one, and I had to go home because they didn't give me a ticket. And then I, I get a te- I get two texts in a row. One is my boss being like, I should have kept you in Phoenix because there's empty seats everywhere. We had extra tickets all over. I shouldn't have sent you home. And I was like, oh, well, okay. At least it won't be a good game or anything. And no. then I get the next the next text I get is from Gareth who goes, hey, bro, what's up? What are you doing tonight? I'm at the Super Bowl. See ya. And I was like, fuck <laughs> you, Gareth. <laughs> like, fuck so then later when I called you, you said you, the way you described the last story you just told was just someone came in and was just like, wrap it up, guys. <laughs> like, just strike it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a it was a bizarre moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So right now we're going to take the open of the show, make it wide open. Anything around the sports world that has nothing to do with the games is fair game. I'm going to start, guys, and I'm going to start where you all knew that I would as the world's foremost expert in athlete rap behind Shea Serrano. I'm going to start with the Martellus Bennett and Snoop Dogg collaboration, Take a Flight. Um, Martellus Bennett, longtime fave of the show, former Chicago Bear, New England Patriots, Super Bowl winner with the Patriots, now with the Green Bay Packers, Adams' former team. He did not have to strike the postgame party. It- Yes, that's that is correct. Uh he he made a rap song with Snoop Dogg. Uh Joe, I know you're getting married this week, but take some time and set that up. This that Clark Kent, Lois Lane, that Superman, that Super Dave, Django, Super Slave, Super High and Super Paid, surfing on a stupid wave, jellyfish and killer whales, killer cam, dipset, astronauts and telescope, can't reach me by the telephone, we too high, that's high five, jump shots, bounce passes, sky hooks, season passes, theme park, party land, you'll never need another man, take my hand, let me take you to another land. All right, Adam, I want to start where... Everyone listening to the song should start with. Is this the first rap song ever to shout out Super Dave Osborne? Yes, I'm gonna have to. Um, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to pull a Gareth on this one and tell you that I forgot to listen to the song. Adam. Adam. I know. I know. I'm. I'm sorry. All right, Adam. Then let me let me start I, with um, a different. Let me start with a different. We, I mean, we can pause. No. We, then. then, then we can pause right Gareth, now. Gareth, did you listen to the song? No, I pulled a Gareth on that one. Okay. Then guys, <laughs> guys, I'm going to I'm going to have to I'm going to have to to pivot to pivot to video here and and figure this out, okay? So, I'm going to I'm just going to go on what I know, which is number 1, Look, Martellus hold, Bennett, could, God could bless I, you because Can, can I stop the, you before you go on here? Like I want to say, like the fact that both Adam and I did not listen to this should not be I, I want you to become a regular contributor to like a radio show as the rap, the athlete rap consultant. Like you should be writing this column for Pitchfork or something like that. So pretend we're an audience. We haven't seen this song out yet. 
you're the expert, and lay it on us. I want to start by this. I, there's a debate in raging in my head, which is, is this the best rap song by an NFL player with flight in the name? And unfortunately, my answer is no. That would be First Flight by Le'Veon Bell of the Pittsburgh, the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, First Flight, guys, is, I don't want to say masterpiece, but it's a master class in, in uh, syncopation, in melody, in mixing. No. It's got three guys instead of two guys. No, it's not. I mean, it's it, First Flight is, is, is a top quality song. This is a good song. It's a good jam, if you will. Uh, Adam, he does he does mention that his favorite color is Kelly Green, and I was going to ask you, is that pandering to his new Packers audience? Are the Packers colors actually Kelly Green, or did he mess up the uh, did he mess up the uh, nomenclature? Yeah, I don't know the exact Pantone, but it's certainly not Kelly Green. Yeah, that was my fear too. I mean, the helmets though run a little bit darker than the than the pants, right? I think it's the other way around. Hmm. But I'd have to look. And I'm also partially colorblind. Really? So I can't say for sure. Yeah. Buddy. You're colorblind? Yeah. Realized that recently. Uh, that's cool. Colorblind. I don't see color either, I man. I have a hard time with different shades of colors. Yeah, I don't see color at all. I I, I'm bought... a white male. I'm a white male <laughs> who's doing fine. I don't see color, Adam. Is that okay for me? <laughs> yeah, I once bought um, black Chuck Taylors for a wedding, and I thought they were navy blue as requested. <laughs> so that'll show you kind of, uh, I may not be the best judge of this that is great all right uh gareth i know you didn't listen to the song but just overall does does snoop dogg still have it i'm an analyst analyze teleporting panama more work no dirt you could say i'm sanitizing got the bitches fantasizing wishing they could sit with me have a drink with me or a split with me this is your epiphany play it like a symphony baby was so heavenly i think her name was symphony meant to be mentally it all makes sense because you never had a ball nor a dog like this um he had a great cameo in pop star that made me laugh really hard uh, I think Snoop Dogg has entered into, you know, kind of pantheon level rap and he can do whatever he wants or show up wherever he wants. And it's fine. He's he's become his own character. He's his own guy. We're all good with that. Haven't you seen his UFC comment? Uh, that I missed. No. Though, are we going to get into that? We need to break down the McGregor Snoop. fight. Snoop is a color commentator for a UFC series called... Tuesday night contender series, and he knows zero <laughs> about MMA, which makes it wildly. Which makes him prime for debating Skip Bayless about it, right? <laughs> exactly, sumo style wrestling, huh, yeah. Skip Bayless? Hey, Adam, I got a question for you. So you didn't listen to the song, but this you don't yeah. you don't need to listen to the song to get this. There's a line in it where Martellus references Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Does that make this a Gwen? Does that yeah. make this a Gwen Stacy diss track? Well, I'd have to know the context. Can you give yeah, me the verse? Yeah, yeah, Peter Parker and Mary Jane. He's implying they're together. Does that make this a Gwen Stacy diss track? Yeah. Well, but I think, I think Superman has also dated other people, but he's known for Lois Lane. Did was Gwen in the movies? Was she in the reboot? Yeah, which she reboot? Was the girl bro? who was the. Uh, the fake. She was the fake Asian girl, or the fake Hawaiian from the Cameron Crowe movie, the Oscar winner. Emma Stone. Girl. 
I'm I'm team. Mar- oh yeah, right. you're right. Emma Stone was Gwen yeah. Stacy, right? I'm team Mary Jane. I'm team Mary Jane. So sure, it's probably a diss track. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Well, this whole song is a euphemism for smoking pot, which I I applaud Martellus for doing. Get out of here. Yeah. Like my first flight, which is all about getting high with a multiple choruses by Snoop Dogg that references Mary Jane, shockingly, might have undertones of we should smoke uh, marijuana. And I applaud Martellus for doing it. Look, we love athlete rap. We love NFL rap. It may not be first flight out of the city, but it's uh, it's my backup 830 when the 6 o'clock gets canceled. You know what I mean? Out of O'Hare. <laughs> All right. All right, Adam. Wide open. Uh, what's on your mind? Well, guys, I think we all saw this coming, but I am obviously going to talk about the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Beyond the fight, what a spectacle this was, from the promotion of it to the talk about the eight-ounce gloves and the press conferences. What a sports business spectacle it was. Even the blackouts that people couldn't actually get the fight. And then... The ultimate blackout in this fight, Brad Burke buying the fight and falling asleep. Brad, I may have missed this Martellus Bennett <laughs> song, but you missed a fight you paid $100. Guys, for the for. first time, Please for explain. the first time in almost 100 episodes of Just Not Sports, I have not done my homework. But Adam, I pay I paid for the paper, all right? <laughs> like, let's just say this. I paid for the textbook. <laughs> I was I was in my house and it was like, you know, running late. And I was like, you know, Kelly, let's just buy the fight. My wife loves boxing. I said, let's just buy the fight. And uh, I can talk about it authoritatively with Adam. So we get the fight. But, you know, it's hours away. And I thought it was going to start at like 9 or 9.30 Central. Man, am I stupid. There's like multiple classes of stupid when it comes to Floyd Mayweather. There's like... Stupid thinking it's going to be an awesome fight. There's stupid thinking it's going to be worth all the money. And there's stupid being like those two levels plus it'll be done before I go to sleep. And by like 1030, man, I'd had we ran out of, you know, I can I can drink myself a good couple glasses of Jack Daniels, but we ran out and I had a bottle of scotch. So I, I, I poured a little I poured a little bit of scotch and I had a couple sips and. You know, goddamn, I can't, I can't, I can't drink scotch, guys. And so <laughs> now it's like eleven o'clock, and I'm like, Kelly, I'm getting the spins. And she goes, What? And I said, I gotta go to bed. So I went upstairs, I laid down, I was like, Just wake me up when the fight starts. And then in the morning, I woke up and I and I, I lifted my head off off the pillow and I looked at my wife laying in the bed. And the first thing I thought was, for the next two years, Kelly is always gonna say to Adam that that I'm a pussy because she. <laughs> You know, she stayed up all night and watched that stupid fight, and I went to bed. And that's what happened. I'm going to have more compassion for you because I actually forgive you for missing this fight, but couldn't you have DVR'd it? You can't DVR pay-per-view. Yes, you can. Well, I didn't know that, Adam. I didn't know that. If I had known that, I clearly would have. I clearly would have. have, Like, I spent $100. You would have gone to sleep at 930. Yeah, I mean, I like I would have I would have gone to sleep at seven. I mean, <laughs> right. the yeah. the I like I paid a hundred dollars for this, and you know what's the worst part? It, it's my birthday present. 
because I have a birthday coming up. And I was like, Ooh. I guess I'll just make this my birthday present. My wife was like, fine, you're done. Well, you missed what was a surprising fight. I want to ask you guys a couple of things. Um, and Brad, you may have noticed this during the undercards because I know you did watch the undercards. Corona paid a massive amount to be one of the title sponsors for this fight. Big Corona logo in the center of the ring. The most terrifying and disturbing part of all of these fights, did you notice the Corona girls lurking in the background, no matter where the post-fight cameras went, the Corona girls were ever-present. I believe someone called them fembots. I don't know if that's politically correct term, but it certainly is appropriate here. It's an Austin Powers joke, which is more offensive <laughs> for being Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. Did you guys notice the the Corona girls in the background? And did you and Brad, did you feel ashamed that you were involved in that industry when you saw it? Uh, Adam, I did I think we've established I did not see that. But you watched the undercards. They were there the whole time. And then they had one tall girl and one short girl. And I think some marketing executive must have noticed because the short girl was gone for the last fight, replaced by a tall blonde. Yeah, I mean, look, man, it's <laughs> boxing. They're going to, like, we're in an era where porn goes to your phone. We're probably, like, four fights away from just... What we're, we're in an area like where we're in an era where four fights from now we're gonna see like just people fucking in the ring next to Floyd. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's gonna be what it's gonna be. It's boxing. It's a dying sport. <laughs> it might have they might have well have just streamed this on Pornhub. You know what I mean? Like they would probably have got a better audience. Ooh, another question. Uh, one of the undercards, Gervonta Davis, uh, who was part of Mayweather Promotions had some of the worst tattoos I've ever seen. I know we talked about tattoos last episode as well, but a question for you. Have you ever seen a neck tattoo look good on anybody? I just think a neck tattoo, that's that's tough. That's like, I don't know. There's job stoppers and then there's like, huh, really committing to the lifestyle there. I, I, I'm going to say yes, Adam. George Clooney in uh, From Dust Till Dawn has a neck tattoo, and it actually looks pretty cool. I think Allen Iverson is a perfect example of you're like, at tw- at 25, that neck tattoo <laughs> seemed really fucking cool. And now that he's over the age of 40, you just kind of cringe every time you see him. Kenyon Martin, too. He's kind of in a similar boat. His looks good. Yeah. Yeah, true. All right, well, we have run out of steam on wide open. All right, moving on. And so we're going to move on to our interview with Eugene Monroe. He Look, he's a longtime NFL veteran, uh, long time with the Baltimore Ravens, uh, as you know. I mean, he's a really great guy. I'm going to caveat by this. We, we, we caught Eugene on a cell phone. He's moving around during the day. Uh, his phone connection isn't as good as I would have wanted, so just hang with it. Or uh, if it's too much, I apologize. Uh, but again, we get these athletes uh, when they can do it. We're one of the few shows that does long form interviews with athletes every week. And so we just got to do what we can do it. Uh, but I love his message. Uh, he's concerned. Look, if you're going to listen to this and just hate listen and be like, oh, he's he's advocating for for marijuana. I want you to think about a couple things. Number one, he's facing chronic pain every day and he's 30 years old. He's he's younger than me. 
and that he talks openly about the pain that he feels. And number two, he's concerned about opioid addiction, which everyone's concerned about. Donald Trump is concerned about it. Like everybody is concerned about opioid addiction in America. And when NFL players who are facing chronic pain are looking for answers for that, uh, they're turning to opioids. And so what Eugene's message is, is you know, whether you agree with medicinal marijuana or not, what he's saying is, let's explore other options and get these guys off of opioids. So it's a fascinating interview. He talks openly about his faith in Roger Goodell as the steward of the, of the NFL. And uh, I think you'll find it... Uh, I think you'll find it fascinating. And then we will be back after that to distract you with our distractions. Stick around. I want to start with, you know, the, the Players Tribune article from a few weeks ago where you said, every single morning when I wake up, before I brush my teeth or even sit up, I feel pain. And I... I think that's a really interesting um, sentiment that a lot of fans don't realize. I mean, we, we know when players are injured, we, we hear them talk about, um, you know, physical ailments, concussions, that kind of thing. But I don't think we see the day-to-day um, issues that NFL veterans have to deal with in terms of pain management. So from your perspective, like, I guess, A, are people surprised with, with, with how consistent the pain is? And, and how do you have to grapple with the knowledge that this is pain management is going to become a permanent part of your life after football? You know, interesting you brought this up. I'm, I'm just thinking just a few hours ago, early this morning, I woke up and, um, like, I, I pretty much just rolled off of the bed and I've got a foam roller next to my bed and rolled my back out to sort of loosen up. Um, so, you know, uh, players deal with a lot. Uh, you've been playing a sport for your entire life doing repetitive movements uh, uh, that are extremely strenuous, and, and you get injured, and, and you try to work through those injuries. So you accumulate a lot of issues. So, you know, uh, you won't hear a, a lot of this because players are, I mean, you're, you're trained to deal with all of those things. You're, you're trained mm-hmm. to fight through all adversity and, and when you're in that sphere everyone is dealing with those issues right so no one's going around complaining uh about how bad they feel uh guys do you know talk amongst each other and say you know well man you know getting up was hard today like it's it. so the, the conversation <laughs> is there but you know from a fan perspective you know ultimately the fans usually don't want to hear that either uh you know, although they can appreciate the fact that athletes get injured, uh, you know, here are guys who make millions of dollars to, to play a sport that they love. So they don't quite equate, uh, you know, the pain to, you know, that athletes are dealing with to, you know, it actually be becoming a detriment in these men's lives. Uh, so, you know, long term, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think it's important for fans to see and fans to hear, uh, you know, just how damaging the game is to the athletes that they adore. Um, you know, one, because many fans play the sport themselves, have kids that, you know, look up to athletes and want to do this. Well, you know, the, the picture that I'm trying to paint of pain is a very real one. 
Um, and it's, it's not one that I complain about. Uh, I'm just stating the facts. Totally. And we lose sight of the fact that, and your, and your piece, you know, talked about this. I mean, you're 30 years old. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. I've seen a lot of people, because I work in sports, and so I, I've been around players a lot, and I see people's reaction the first time they might see a guy who played football 40 years ago walking very slowly or, or clearly, um, you know, not moving around as fluidly as they expect. But for so many of the recently retired athletes, they're very young men. And so from your perspective – how much do you feel like that fuels, or I, I guess, how much do you feel like, you know, you guys need to speak out because, uh, you know, so many people are, are that are leaving the NFL at a very young age are going to have years and years and years of uh, needing to find answers for dealing with this pain, and and you know, and we need to talk about it openly before they turn to the wrong doors that create long-term habits. Absolutely. You know, I, I had an interesting perspective. I was drafted to the Jaguars in the first round, and that offseason they had also signed Trey Thomas, who was at the end of his career. Uh, he played you know, over 10 years, and uh, it was visible on a daily basis just uh, the way he moved. You could tell, you know, the injuries that he had in his career were certainly – uh, you know, impacting him on a daily basis, not just performing on the field, but, you know, even his day getting into the building. Uh, and then after a day of practice, you know, basically being incapacitated, not being able to function. Uh, so, you know, I saw that early. And, but, but, you know, I saw it. And at the same time, like I'm an athlete, I'm, I'm trying to, to win, doing everything I can, putting a hundred percent of myself into the game. And, you know, you, you can lose track of, you know, long-term effects of, of what happens to you. You're, you're invincible. Um, so, you know, I think that, or at least you believe you do, you are. So I think that, you know, this work in promoting, you know, awareness on the issues around pain management in sports and finding solutions for are so vital. You know, for the game itself, athletes come and go. You, you'll have an athlete, he'll have his career, and while that's happening, there's younger guys doing the same thing. So, you know, the, the, the care, you know, from the league perspective is probably misplaced because the focus is on um, you know, the guys that are playing and not necessarily the long-term health. You know, what happens with this guy's knees when he's 45 years old? Um, but right. I think we need to start considering that and how we address and manage pain and injury now while, while athletes are active. Well, and that's the culture of the league, right? I mean, it's it's don't speak up because you'll look soft or the coaches will sour on you or you'll lose your starting job. And you'll lose your job security. And I'm wondering, you know, before we get into the, the the what you're doing in terms of pain management, how do we address that culture from a player's perspective? What can be done to get guys to be coming forward with what they're really dealing with without fear of losing their jobs? Or is that just an an, an impossible quagmire that you can't you can't figure out? Well, I will say that we cannot separate marijuana. Uh, because it is one of those things that that certainly needs to to be talked about more, and in doing so, just like other things, uh, you know, the potential for you know your career to be derailed because of because of speaking out about it. So, 
Um, you know, we the NFL needs to move to an environment where we can have, you know, open discussions about these important topics. Uh, otherwise, the environment, uh, you know, that's extremely toxic now where not only is not talk about it, you know, any association with some of these things, you know, might, you know, ruin your career. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, players need to feel confident that, you know, they can speak up about these important issues and, and not be afraid. So you were you were the first active player to really address this openly. And, you know, we, we've seen what happens. <laughs> you know, you just alluded to it. We've seen what happens when players come forward um, and, and get opinionated about about polarizing issues. What what was it that finally drove you to to step forward and talk about um, cannabis and marijuana as a as a potential um, you know way to deal with pain and 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 how cognizant were you of the the perceptual risk uh, with your relationship to the league because of that? I was extremely cognizant of of the potential harm to my relationship with the league, uh, but. I I really I, I didn't consider it because I I felt that my health long term was was more important and and if I didn't work towards uh, a solution for the problems I saw that um, you know it, that so I you know I, I made a decision that that speaking up about this was was more important than being fearful of, of my employment um, and then you know one other guy after. I spoke about this issue of marijuana in the NFL, uh, has spoken about it openly, but, but really not many others. Uh, probably because they saw that I was released right afterwards, right? Um, yeah. Which would probably, you know, make anyone second guess it. Uh, but again, you know, there's, there's just so much value here. Uh, this isn't really about my opinion, you know, because previously my opinion was on the other side. I, I didn't believe in marijuana. I didn't think it was something that had any value outside of uh, you losing your job or landing you in jail. So, um, you know, but, but the science tends to direct the information towards a path that, that shows that this has great efficacy and, and has application in sports. When we, you know, I, I, number one, when we think about marijuana for, for you know, um, treating pain and chronic pain, I think people just instantly picture, um, you know, <laughs> lighten up a joint. But your article went into a lot of depth, and what you've been doing is trying to educate people that there are a lot of ways, topical creams, other things like that, where cannabis uh, um, can, can have a, a, you know, a positive effect on some of the pain you're dealing with. Can you talk us through just some of the ways that you use um, you, you use this to actually deal with what you're dealing with on a daily basis? Uh, so I guess I think there's more value in talking about, you know, the, the fact that there are multiple applications for, for using marijuana for various reasons. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the first thing people think of is light up a joint. And in fact, why, People have a negative connotation with simply lighting up a joint. Uh, it's actually one of the fastest ways to get relief using cannabis. Uh, it tends to enter your bloodstream through your lungs much more quickly than the other methods that you could consume it, uh, which, from an athletic perspective, might uh, you know make more sense because certainly while the effects of cannabis through smoking. Uh, you know, might onset quicker, you know, it's probably not a good idea to inhale 
something that's burning. So, uh, you know, there's different forms of cannabis that you can consume, whether, whether it's a different form that you can eat. Um, and certainly you can even infuse it into healthy food items and create, you know, cannabis infused, you know, food. Uh, you could, you know, use different creams that operate in the same way, you know, that athletes might be used to using, you know, a, a big day or whatever other muscle that, that, you know, these are natural compounds that have, you know, just cannabis in it. There's, there's nothing that's been, like, compounded. Uh, you know, there's a, a list of different ways to consume it. Um, and, and again, just to, you know, the fact that we talk about athletics and say, oh, well, the picture is lighting up a joint, right? There's nothing wrong with that picture, but the way we view marijuana in our country and stigmatize it uh, tends to, you know, make that picture, you know, a picture of negativity where, in fact, you know, an athlete could come home after a game, light up the joint, and, and get tons of relief uh, from a day of bringing his head and body all day. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And then the other, I mean, the other thing about it is if you, if, if, if retired players are not turning to this, they might be turning to opioids. And, and you were candid about, I mean, how much Vicodin did you say you were taking a day when you were playing? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's not even a, a fact of athletes, you know, turning to opioids. There's nothing to turn to. They're, they're already in them. Uh, the right. team docs are providing them for their injuries. So, you know, let's, let's create another option for players so they don't have to take a substance that has, you know, killed thousands of people, is causing, you know, a, a crisis in our country. Uh, we don't need to continue to prescribe opioids in places where athletes have, you know, access to cannabis. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so interesting is everyone in the country, politicians, health professionals, agrees that there's an opioid epidemic. And yet when you bring up, you know, cannabis, medical marijuana, there's still this well, 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 we don't want to, you know, we don't want to go there. From your perspective, you have to be thinking that you know, we need to find an alternative path, and this is, this is one. So why do you think more, given the, 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 the concern, or at least the, 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 uh, the pledged concern of, over opioids, why do you think more lawmakers, health professionals, and the league haven't been quicker to adopt, uh, you know, this alternative route? They, they're uneducated, you know, they, they don't know. Uh, they, they haven't learned anything about marijuana, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, they're, they're making decisions based on misinformation. Uh, you know, people who have listened to the propaganda and, and the lies uh, about the science of marijuana that are continually disproven. Um, you know, I, I used to think that same way and, and believe all of those things. But, um, you know, if, if, if those people who make decisions are more open to, you know, accepting this as science and letting go of the, you know, the, the false facts and whatever they believe of marijuana, and let's look at it for, you know, it's a, a medical intent, um, or, or, or more so the fact that it's safer than most of all of these other things that are allowed. Uh, and, and you'll see that, you know, there's a lot of work yet to be done. A lot of people who still, you know, don't even know that uh, you don't have to smoke cannabis. They don't even know that there are formulations of cannabis that, that don't get you high, that, 
you can take and relieve your pain. If you've got to work all day, you know, you're not altered in any way. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of education to be done widespread. You know, that's going to be a, a Herculean effort. And do you believe that, you know, the commissioner who's now up for, you know, he, he's up for a long extension, at least according to media reports, do you believe that Roger Goodell is the person to, to listen to players on this and to help usher in change? Or are you and other players at all um, just really concerned about the direction the league is going to go on this issue uh, if, if the status quo remains at the top of the, the hierarchy there? Uh, this is a serious matter. Um, and it needs to be addressed in a hurry. Uh, you know, in terms of Roger Goodell, you know, for, for this and for many reasons, uh, you know, I, I think there'd be a lot of players who would hope that, you know, there's a way that he was not in that position. Um, I'd include myself in that conversation as well, and not really just for marijuana. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like he has the players' best interests at heart, or is there still just pervasive skepticism that, that he's the right guy for all the different issues you guys you know, keep talking about? It is very clear that Roger Goodell is only uh, on behalf of the owners. Um, the track record speaks for itself. Uh, there's really no discussion there. Right. So where where do you go from here? What what tangibly are you going to do to try to make this? I mean, you're clearly you're speaking out. You're you're very you're very passionate about this, and you're you're trying to enact change. What needs to get done? What what are the sort of initial steps you think? that get us to a place where the discussion is, is much different and where players are, are starting to get real uh, real options to explore these these alternative treatments? Uh, so you're asking me the question that if I had the answer to, we would probably be having a different <laughs> conversation. So I'm working, right. I'm working on um, you know, every avenue possible to, to try to create change here. And finally, what do you want fans to know? That would that would deepen. Is there anything you want them to know that would deepen their empathy and understanding for the the, the you know the health issues that, that that players and former players are facing? To be a hundred percent honest with you, uh, you know, man, I, I love the fans, and they obviously drive the game. However, like I I, I you know I, I don't I don't care you know really about the fan perspective on this because it doesn't matter. You know, the fan isn't isn't getting CTE and isn't dealing with arthritis in almost every point in their body, right? So there are men who have played this game and are struggling uh, to find solutions to deal with their pain and other issues on a daily basis. So, you know, I'm going to continue to, to do what I can to, to help those men. And, and unfortunately, I, I'm one of them, too, and we'll be dealing with all of the same things. So... You know, this is also an effort to, to find solutions for, for myself and for my health and wellness as well. Well, it's a great, it's, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing. We, we appreciate you making the time for us today. And, and, you know, best of luck. We hope that change is coming for the better. And, and we hope that, um, that you guys get, the, you know, the treatments and the options you need. Awesome. Uh, thank you. Thanks for the platform. Thanks for letting me talk with you. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do stuff that are cool, interesting, exciting, 
away from sports. And what we do is tell them to get back to sports. Let's not do that. So right now, we take the last part of our show and tell you the things that have been distracting us because nothing is better than a good old distraction from work. I'm going to start, guys. Uh, I, I watch like one movie every six months on On Demand. It's not a lot of movies. Uh, it, it, so when I do, I, I want something good. I, I, it's something that I'm excited about seeing. And this week I saw Alien Covenant. And it was butt. It was it was so was butt. It, oh it was no. so terrible. I mean, at one point, an android... At one point, a, an android was kissing an exact replica android of himself. And I, rem- I remember thinking to myself, these guys should just fuck because this would be a lot more interesting to just watch these guys fuck than like watch them play a flute together. So I want to know. Can you tell your Prometheus story? Uh, yeah, I was big into Prometheus. Like when Prometheus came out, I was like, that was my first time really getting into chat room culture. Like I would go into like Prometheus and alien chat rooms and like listen to sp- potential spoiler talk and like oh i i watched the trailer 130 times because i don't have a job and here's what i decoded from the wall behind uh shaw and i'm like oh this is great and then i saw the movie and i was like within the first five minutes when that when that engineer just drinks the goo and melts i was like this movie's gonna suck (laughs) and i wasted three months Well, I I love that story though, just for like the whole. This is gonna be awesome. This is gonna, like that moment of like sinking. I've made a huge mistake. It's like oh, when fuck. Phantom Menace went to the Jar Jar Binks planet, and I was like, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> like I'm just a little, <laughs> a little concerned. All right. So speaking of Phantom Menace, much like George Lucas ruined or tried to ruin Star Wars with with his prequels. Ridley Scott has just shat all over the Alien movies, which are some of my favorite... Alien and Aliens are some of my favorite movies ever. Alien was the first horror movie I ever watched, if you count it as horror. And I love it to this day. And these movies suck. And I want to know, Adam, uh, we'll start with you. Like, has anyone that you... that Has anyone that has made something you love so far betrayed it later as to like make you question why you loved the first thing so much in the first place. Um, so this answer is easy and there's really only one answer. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, maybe the most innovative comic and cartoon series of all time. And they gave the keys to Michael Bay who ruined my childhood. Um, with these movies and cast that dickhead Megan Fox as April O'Neil. That is a crime, my friend. Adam, I have a serious question. Take the, take the worst of the Transformers, Michael Bay movies. It cannot be worse than TMNT two secrets of the ooze. You don't wait. We're talking about Ernie Reyes Jr. playing <laughs> Kino, one of the most heroic uh, heroes in martial arts movie history. Are you serious? I I will counter that. Who would go on to star in Surf Ninjas? If you remember, do you guys remember Surf Ninjas? What an amazing I do, but I will counter that by saying. 
TMNT2 S-O-T-O uh, has used an extended vanilla ice wrap called Ninja Wrap. Did we forget that? Right. Well, that was the most horrific mo- moment in uh, All right. m- most horrific musical moment in movie history. But good real quick, overall. real quick, I saw Vanilla Ice play at the Penny Road Pub in Barrington, Illinois, which is not not a big venue, and he played he played Ice Ice Baby and uh, Ninja Rap uh, within the first five songs. So we just peaced out. We just left. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gareth, has any what other songs exist? I know, I really, play that funky music, White Boy. Uh, Gareth, have you have you been betrayed by someone in pop culture that you once loved and adored? I loved Clerks. We saw that together. Mm. Um, That's really good. Yeah. Clerks too was a, was awful. Mallrats has not aged well. Most of Kevin Smith's output has not aged well. Uh, so that is one, that's almost a story more of unfulfilled promise. Yeah. But it makes it hard to root or to, and we were talking about clerks the other day at work, like just joking around about, I don't know, some unrepeatable lines from that movie. Uh, all tip fucking volume eight might've come up, but, uh, I don't know. That was just such a huge breakthrough movie when we were 16. And it was a shame to be like, well, that's it. That's the guy's peak. You just saw it right there. So I hope you're cool with that. Um, so, yeah, that's the one that comes to mind for me. If you're going to talk Michael Bay, uh, yeah, I don't know. It gets, it's different. So, yeah, Clerks and Kevin Smith would be mine. Yeah, Kevin Smith's tough, man. Clerks was one of my still one of my top movies ever, uh, just from a cultural impact on my my humor. And other than other than Chasing Amy, I, I have not liked any of his other movies. So, oh well, so sad. Hashtag sad. Adam, Adam, what's distracting you this week? Uh, I'm on day four of the whole 30 diet. Are you guys, are you guys familiar with the whole 30? No, no. Uh, so the whole 30 is 30 days of paleo. So it means no carbs, no sugar, no alcohol, no fun, no relief of any kind, but it's supposed to be really healthy for you. And last time I dropped between 20 and 30 pounds. So uh, I'm in the middle of that hell right now. So that's what's <laughs> distracting me, literally. Adam, I feel like I should do this diet with you. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, try it. Give it a try. I should jump in. Can I keep the alcohol? Yeah, let's all do it. That makes for some interesting podcasts. No, you can't keep the alcohol. I had to give up. My favorite beers and whiskeys tonight at the client dinner I went to. So, no, you can't. All right, Adam, I'll do it, but you have to reboot and go on it uh, <laughs> from when we start. Sure. Oof. That sounds good. So you're starting right now because I don't <laughs> know how long I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That sounds horrifying. Gareth, what's distracting you this week besides that? Um... This has been an obsession going on for a couple weeks. I uh, I hate iTunes, and I hate the way Apple has set up 
uh, the way their music syncs and things like that. Because now it's all cloud-based, and so when you're flying, you've only got a fraction of your music to listen to. And so I was on a flight a couple weeks ago, and I was like, shit, I can't find anything to listen to. And I found one of the albums I had downloaded was Nashville Obsolete by the Dave Rawlings Machine. And I listened to it, and I was like, man, this album is really good. And so then I, long story short, Dave Rawlings Machine and Gillian Welch are basically the same band, but two different incarnations. Dave Rawlings and Gillian Welch have been playing together for about 20 years and change. When she writes a song and sing lead, she's best known for being a part of the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Um, when she sings a song and uh, writes it and takes the lead, it's released as a Gillian Welch song. When he writes it and sings lead, it's released as a Dave Rawlings Machine song. And between the two of them, they have made some uh, written some of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. I mean, just like rock solid, at times, as a friend put it, plutonium heavy music that um, will affect your mood and make you miserable in the best possible way. Um, so I've kind of gone nuts on the Just Not Sports Spotify. I have a Gillian Welch playlist, a Dave Rawlings playlist. And while I was at it, Joe Reed, I made two playlists for you, buddy, for getting married. So, yeah, so there you go. But seriously, Gillian Welch's album, Time, The Revelator, is just one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. Most of the album is her and Dave Rawlings singing harmony and two guitars, and it will knock you on your butt. Adam, in particular, I mean, this isn't rockin' country, but it definitely is in the folky country vein, and you should give it a listen. It will, at times, make you very happy and totally miserable and depressed. Maybe we should talk about that the next time. Like, what art do you love and enjoy, even though it makes you feel terrible? Yeah, let me get to, like, day 15 of this diet, because right now I couldn't be any sadder. Oh, fuck. It'll knock you out, man. It's not good. Yeah, that sounds horrifying, Adam. What do you? Th- I would rather watch Alien Covenant after the uh, the McGregor Mayweather fight than do that. <laughs> I think you should start tomorrow. Yeah, I might. I might. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. First of all, let's give some shout outs. I want to give a shout out to Joe Reed, who Joe is Reed. getting married. This weekend in fabulous Buffalo, New York, Joe. Gia. I just wanna, I just wanna give you some advice, bro. Wear socks on your wedding day. Don't be part of your generation's war on socks. You'll regret it. Can I tell? Did I tell this story last year on my anniversary? Can I tell a quick wedding by story? The way, I did, by the way, I just let that hang in the air for a long time. And just yeah. like, someone's yeah, going to okay. take this. And you guys were like, it was like Gary Payton throwing a half-court lob to Sean Kemp. And Sean Kemp's like checking himself <laughs> out of the game. <laughs> I just don't give a shit about some yeah, more sorry, socks, I, yeah. man. I have, no, I have no take here. <laughs> uh, Gareth, I, go ahead. 
Uh, when I, Joe, my favorite moment, one of my favorite moments of my entire wedding was when my wife, we were dancing, and my wife just looked at me and screamed in my face, this is our wedding! And I loved it, and it was a great reminder just to be in the moment, because it's actually happening to you. So enjoy your wedding, stay in the moment, find that moment with your wife where you look her in the eyes and can just say, this is our wedding. So... Yeah, I was married once, too. The best part of my wedding was Aaron Rodgers being there. That's how bad the marriage was. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a backup at the time. That's what's sad. Uh, That's awesome. I wanna, There's nothing sad I about give that. A, yeah, no, that was good. That was good. By the way, I want to give a shout-out to um, to two people in, um, in Houston – uh, this week, so uh, Spurs player Jonathan Simmons uh, w- was was trapped in a house for um, for days. I'm just seeing this right now via via social media, and apparently he like didn't eat so the kids could eat in the house before they were rescued, which is great. And then I want to give a shout out to Shea Serrano. Uh, he was on episode two of Just Not Sports, uh, writer for The Ringer, contributor to The Ringer's podcast series. And like a savant on Twitter. And and very few people have been doing as much as Shay to use their Twitter following to like rally behind causes. Uh, recently, he did a big uh, fundraiser for San Antonio uh, LGBTQ youths who, uh, you know, he raised money for organizations that help uh, help those kids. Uh, this week, he's been all over social trying to raise money for uh you know for for the 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 flood uh, and then the significant financial investment that's going to be needed to 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 come after it and i get it like a lot of people raising money everyone's raising money for it uh but but you know shay's down there and he's in the city and he's he's not asking for anything for himself he's like using twitter to like get a lot of people help so uh shout out shay i hope i hope the city's well and uh you know well enough as it can be and we appreciate you doing everything you do so selflessly. Well said. All right, Adam, any shout-outs to take us out? Yeah, I'd like to give a shout-out to my usual people, all of who will be at, a part of Joe's wedding in some way. Uh, my boy Uzi, who's doing the catering. Def Jeff, <laughs> who, of course, is DJing. Of course. Little Swanee is bringing the cake. Uh, Meech might be stealing a gift or two off the gift table. Um, Ron Mack is parking cars. And my other cousin, Ron, is banging Joe's aunt in the coat closet. God damn. (laughs) And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty.